The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living. I've got a little cold today, but I'm here, and uh, the voice is just a little lower. We have some great guests on today. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about how you get through difficult periods. My guest is Carol Brody Fleet. She's the author of Happily Even After, a guide to getting through and beyond the grief of widowhood which addresses the most commonly asked questions by widows and those who surround them. When Carol lost her husband at the age of 40, there were no responses or resources that spoke directly to her needs as a young widow. She turned to books about grief, but she felt that it wasn't what she needed. Twelve years later, Carol has founded Widows Wear Stilettos, Inc., a nonprofit organization and website Founded in 2006 and devoted to service, she also has a monthly newsletter and a partnership in two annual conventions. And today we're talking about her book, Happily Even After, A Guide to Getting Through and Beyond the Grief of Widowhood. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, you know, it's it's really amazing. So many times I've interviewed people who come to these wonderful points of helping the world after what they've been through. And so really, in a way, although this was difficult for you, the gift was that you're now able to bring this to so many people. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, it's, it's really, like you said, it's a result of trying to find resources that spoke specifically to to me and, and what I was looking for. And that's one of the biggest problems after any kind of loss is trying to find the support and the education that speaks to you. One grief does not fit all, and so one method of recovery is not going to fit all either. And I, I love the name of your show, Positive Living, because that is the direction that I've always been focused in. And most of the books that I were finding which are wonderful books, but all that anybody wanted to talk about was grief. And that, to me, keeps you in a core-based place of grief. Yeah. I needed something a little bit more practical and that talked about other things as well. Well, And, and that's, love, where, that's where it all started. And I love your title, Happily Even After, because what you're saying is that even after you've had a relationship or you've had something that's wonderful, you can still be happy. So you help people focus on that happiness piece in their lives afterwards. 
Absolutely. And we need to mm-hmm. say very quickly that grieving is important. It is vital. You cannot move through a painful period without taking the time to mourn and grieve in healthy and productive ways. People sometimes get the message that because we're talking about being happy and striving to live again and find a new life, that we're saying don't grieve, skip over that. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. In fact, we, we really encourage grieving and taking your time with that and turning a deaf ear to people who would have you rush yeah. through that very important yeah. step. So but when you, it's not when where you, we want to stay. When you wrote this book, did you write it after you spoke to a lot of other widows? Did you write it after you got some help? What, uh, what got you to write the book? What was the impetus? Well, actually, this is my second book. My first book, Widows Were Stilettos, I wrote about five years after I'd lost my late husband. And mm-hmm. the reason I waited that long, so many people ask that. It, was it a catharsis or what have you? And the honest answer is no, because it's n- neither book is a memoir. It is, it is trying to help other people, and I didn't feel that for me that I could do that memoir form. And I also didn't feel that I could be a knowledgeable and wise advocate in the grief recovery genre if I hadn't done it myself, if I hadn't made the practical and emotional transitions, if I hadn't dated again and found my, found my new life. And, so, and that takes time. That doesn't happen in a couple of weeks, um, despite what other people would think. Happily Even After was a wonderful result of the thousands of letters that we get every month and have always gotten every month. And that's what makes the book unique and fantastic is the questions that are asked in the book are excerpted from actual letters from real widowed people. They're not, it's not something most, that I just... I'm sorry. Yeah, what are the most common questions? Give us the, like, the top three questions that you get and how you'd answer them. The top three questions, actually it's in, in more of a broader category. So many letters we get begin with, when is it appropriate to? Or is it okay if I? And what what all those letters are code for is, Carol, I really want to do this thing. I want to date again. I want to sell my house. I want to wear my rings. I want to take my rings off. It's, It's all kinds of things. That's what they're saying. But somebody, somebody somewhere has told them it's not okay. Or what are you thinking? And they're listening to that negative focus. They're paying attention to that negative focus. And now they need reinforcement from somebody, anybody, who has walked the same path. That is probably the most common thing that happens. And my answer to any of those questions is, as long as you are coping with your recovery and Mm -hmm. you are finding your healing journey in a productive way, Anything that you choose to do is okay, as long as you are not coping destructively, as long as you are not hurting yourself or anyone else, as long as you are not shirking your responsibilities. What you choose to do is okay. There's no such thing as appropriate or inappropriate. What was the hardest thing for you after your husband died? Getting out of my pajamas. (laughs) That was the hardest thing Mm -hmm. for me. I found myself, well, for me it was twofold. My situation was after a long-term illness. And when you 
are dealing with a long-term illness. Uh, Mike had Lou Gehrig's disease for a little over two years. That illness takes over every facet of your life. It's why you get out of bed. Yeah. It's why you go to sleep. It's, it's yeah. why you eat a cheeseburger or not. It, it dictates everything. So now, not only is your loved one gone, the purpose that you've mm-hmm. been living for is gone. And you wake up, and every day feels like about 45 hours long. And you can't remember what you did with your life before illness governed it. So now you're dealing with a plurality of loss, if you will. You've lost your loved one, and now you've lost your purpose. That was a huge struggle for me. And the other struggle initially was, well, he's not here to care, so why should I? Why should I care about what I look like? Why should I care about how I feel? Why should I care about what I eat? Or just I, it, when you're going through the motions. You're an automatron. You, you are just... Because you, you have this feeling of not caring. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got past that pretty quickly because... I was going to ask you, what snapped you out of that? What, uh, what got you to move past that? Necessity. Um, at the time, our daughter was 11 years old when her daddy passed away. She was nine when he was diagnosed. And I realized that I had an opportunity to model healthy recovery for her. Most of the lessons that our children learn are caught, not taught. They're watching us. I don't care how old they are. She's 24 now. She's still watching me. I know it. And Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to send her a message that we could get knocked down hard by the most horrendous circumstances imaginable, but we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay down. And I had this opportunity to show her that we were going to get up and we were going to move forward from the emotional ruin, from the financial ruin, from the lack of purpose ruin, from everything that we had experienced, from the abandonment and betrayal issues that sadly most of the widow that I've encountered, and that's tens of thousands of people, most of them have uh, dealt with abandonment and betrayal issues by people, by certain people that surround them. We could move forward from all of that and we could find our new life. And that was, that was probably the biggest impetus for me. What is your advice to the thousands of people who feel isolated and completely alone? How do you help them move through that? By first letting them know that they are not isolated and alone. Most people feel that way because in, in our community, the widow community, people don't necessarily know a lot of widowed people. And if they do, oftentimes they are chronologically older. Now, I was 40 when I was widowed, and I thought I was very young (laughs) when I was 40, and and it is. But we have widows that are as young as 17 years of age. I got humbled pretty quickly as far as how old I was. Uh, But we serve people all the way up into their 90s, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. But to let people know that they're not alone, that there are communities out there, there is support, there is education, the best first avenue of comfort is community, even if it's online. If you don't want to go out and find a support group, that's fine. We do have an in-person support group across the U.S. and Canada, but if that's not for you, go online. There are so many resources now that simply didn't exist uh, almost 13 years ago when uh, Mike passed away. You don't have to do this by yourself, and it is not a sign of weakness to say, I need help with this. And that is such a comfort when somebody finds just one other person 
who's experienced, you know, name something, experienced abandonment, fear, anger, guilt, which is a huge issue in the bereaved community, any one of those things or more, when you find someone else that says, you know what, Patricia, I get it. I absolutely get it because I've been there. And if you grab a hold of this hand, we're going to get you through this. Instead of them saying things like, as you have written, at least you were prepared, it was his time, you were meant to be alone, you'll find someone else, those (laughs) comments really don't help you, do they? You know how much I love those comments, don't you? (laughs) No, they don't. And, you know, I will be the first to say that most people simply don't know what to say at a time of loss, and for that reason, they oftentimes say the wrong thing. Most people don't intend to be hurtful or malicious or try and and top your pain with their pain. That said, an important part of what we do is educate the people who surround the bereaved, not just somebody who's widowed, not just somebody who's dealing with a death, but here's what to say and do, and more importantly, here's not what to say and do, here's not what's helpful. In my situation, I heard, a, I heard at least you were prepared, or it's not like you didn't know it was coming. And what the bereaved hears is, well, I knew it was coming, so why am I grieving? That's, I, I, I don't have the right to mourn. And I work very the, yeah, hard to yeah. give people to, to, you've got to give the person one. the right to mourn. I think another one is when you've been with someone a long time, and people mm-hmm. say to you, well, you've, you had them so long, aren't you lucky? Well, in some ways, that makes it worse because you had them so long. So You're absolutely it's a, right. Yeah, it's not understanding. All right, you talk about the five secrets to healing after any kind of loss, and the one thing that holds people back from recovery, what is it? The one thing? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make some enemies here. The one thing that holds us back is excuses. What are, what's holding you back? Excuses. Are you using your loss as an excuse? If you are, it's only, that's only going to serve to keep you in a place of loss. You know, years ago I coached a widow whose answer to everything was, I can't, I'm a widow. It doesn't matter really? if she was going out to dinner with friends or changing a light bulb. I can't, I'm a widow. I finally asked her, how many lives does your late husband's accident get to claim? Mm-hmm. And once she realized that she was using that as a way to stay where she was, she was able to make the conscious choice to start to move forward. And once she heard that, her attitude began to change, and we just heard from her recently. On top of everything else she'd accomplished, she's engaged now. So nice. are you using your loss as an excuse? Are you using a life difficulty or a challenge as an excuse? Life's not going to quit throwing curveballs at you. That's an excuse. Are you using fear as an excuse? It doesn't wash. Everyone's afraid. Everybody's afraid. I lost Oh, a well-paying, I, I, I didn't lose it, I, I left a well-paying job to become an author and a speaker. That doesn't happen overnight. And I was terrified. But the definition mm-hmm. of a courageous person is not, don't be afraid. The definition of courage is, be afraid and do it anyway. Yeah. Are you letting negative people and opinions keep you from moving forward? Who are you letting stop you from moving forward to a place of peace? That's not okay. You can't share a 16 by 20 vision with a person who has a 3 by 5 mind. You, what mm-hmm. are, is it that you are using as an excuse, not a reason, but as an excuse to keep you from taking your first steps 
on your healing journey, and it doesn't yeah. matter what your loss or life challenge is. You talk about some steps to take at the beginning of this healing journey you just mentioned, and mm-hmm. one of them is, you say, make that choice to heal, and then once That's you right. do, what are some things we can make time for? Make, first of all, make time for grief. As, as ridiculous as that sounds, most of us don't have the luxury of giving in to grief whenever the spirit takes us. We have to go to work. We have to run the kids. We, we have a list full of have-tos every single day. All of us do. But if you don't take the time to grieve, that grief is going to come back to bite you at some point. That's not an if, it's a when. By setting aside me time that doesn't include distractions, which as we progress and as technology grows, distractions become greater. You've got to shut mm-hmm. off. I don't care if it's just for 20 minutes a day. You're allowing yourself to actually move through your process in a healthy way. Uh, another thing that you need to do is you need to take control consciously of your situation. We can't control life or death. We can't control whether we lose a job. We can't control sometimes whether we lose other precious things in our lives, such as a home or a relationship. But we can assume control over our reactions. We can take control over our healing journeys. And take conscious ownership of your healing journey. Own it. It belongs to you. Once again, as long as you're not coping destructively and you're not hurting anyone, how you choose to proceed is entirely up to you. And, of course, reach out for help. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, Reach out for help. I can't help anyone sooner than right now, but I can start helping you right now. And we're going to help you every step of the way. How do you treasure and honor someone who's passed, Mm -hmm. but do that without living in the past, Carol? Very, very important question. So many people equate moving forward, however you define that, whether it's falling in love again, Moving, uh, moving into a new home, changing towns, changing careers. People have a very either-or attitude after loss. And they feel that if they move forward, they are dishonoring or casting aspersions on their past, and it's simply not true. The heart expands to accept and embrace as much love as you want it to. Otherwise, we'd only have one child and that's it. Because how could you possibly love another child as much as you love this one? The same... The same attitude holds here. You can absolutely love and honor and treasure your past without living in your past. You can bring mm. those wonderful memories and have keepsakes, not shrines, keepsakes uh, around your home or your office to remind you of that wonderful life that you lived while you're living in today, which is so important because people who set up camp in a life that is no longer here for them to live are missing out on the life that's here right now. Exactly. And that's such a pity. You can do both. We have a few minutes left, and you discuss some things in your book that are sensitive, like intimacy, handling uh-huh. finances, um, you know, spouses who are not with you anymore, but they had, they, you found out that they had affairs, extramarital, right. family relationship breakdowns. How do you um, talk about these sensitive subjects, and what do you advise for people? Well, first of all, the reason that we, we talk about the subjects, obviously, if we're talking about them, that means we had got letters that address those subjects. So that means mm-hmm. that these things are going on. And not discussing these subjects just wasn't an option for me. Just because 
they are difficult subjects doesn't mean that these things aren't happening every single day. I don't intentionally court controversy. I don't even like reality television because I can't stand confrontation. But rather than worrying about the potential controversy, I concentrate on the mission rather than the moaners and the whiners and the people saying, oh, I don't want to read about that. If the world at large finds certain subjects to be sensitive or difficult or controversial, so be it. The fact is, those people who are directly affected by widowhood welcome and embrace discussion of those subjects and a lot of other sensitive subjects. Those are the people I'm concerned with. Mm-hmm. So um, if you found out there were affairs, that's tough mm-hmm. to deal with because the person's no longer here. It's incredibly difficult because it is betrayal that you cannot confront. Mm-hmm. You can't go to the, the offender and say, how could you do this to me? Why don't you love me? And then the next phase is you question everything about your relationship. Was my entire relationship a lie? And that is an, it's incredibly easy to do. You have to first embrace what you can and cannot control. You cannot, you cannot confront the betrayal itself with the betrayer. That's, that's a horribly difficult thing. And what we need to start learning how to do is work through anger, and that's a, a whole other show. But we need to start learning how to work through that in productive ways. Mm-hmm. And rather than focus on the betrayal just and, and hone in on that, focus on the whole of your relationship and the positive and loving things that came as a result of that. Don't confront the person with whom your late beloved one engaged in extracurricular activities, if you will. Don't focus on that. Don't confront that person. Don't, don't again, you don't want to set up in a place of fear, of anger, of bitterness. You won't move forward if you decide to set up camp there. I'm not saying don't be angry, and I'm not saying don't have all of those horrible feelings. You have every right to. But is that what we're going to let govern our healing journey in the long run? No. And there's, there's a, a lot of ways that we can help move past that. Well, the book is Happily Even After, A Guide to Getting To and Beyond the Grief of Widowhood. It touches many subjects. It talks about isolation. It talks about finances. It talks about all the feelings that you have and how do you get back up on the horse and do it again. Even if you find out things later that, you know, were, hurt, were hurtful, how do you embrace life as it is now? And Carol, this is a wonderful book. It's wonderful that you've written it. Um, uh, I know you've gotten so many thousands of letters, and it's very special. And the book is by Carol Brody Fleet, who is my guest today, happily even after. Thank you so much for being on the show and for doing this book, writing this book. Thank you, Patricia. It's been wonderful to be with you. And tell me how people can find you. The best place to start is at widowswearstilettos.com. We have a very comprehensive website with all the information about everything you could possibly want to know. And we're also on Facebook at Widows Wear Stilettos, and you'll find friends, hot topics, discussions, all kinds of things, and, uh, uh, along with what's going on at Widows Wear Stilettos every day. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, stay on the line for a minute. Thank you so much again for being on the show. The book is Happily Even After. A Guide to Getting Through and Beyond the Grief of Widowhood by Carol Brody Fleet. And again, it's widowswearstilettos.com. Thanks a lot, Carol. All right, hold on for a minute. All right, folks, uh, that wraps up this half hour. We have another guest coming right up, so stay tuned right here on Patricia Raskin Positive Living. 
on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, Hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our second half hour of our program, Patricia Raskin Positive Living. My guest is Beverly Whipple, who is a professor emerita at Rutgers University, and a certified sexuality educator, counselor, and researcher. 
She's co-author of the groundbreaking book, The G-Spot and Other Discoveries About Human Sexuality. And she's also co-author of this book, Orgasm, The Orgasm Answer Guide, with several others. And she's co-author of a study on Arjun Max for Women, which is a naturally scientific-backed supplement for women. Excuse me, as well as a recent recipient of the Masters and Johnson Award from the Society of Sex Therapy and Research. Dr. Whipple is a foremost authority in the United States on women's sexual health. Welcome, Beverly, Dr. Whipple. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> what can women do for some of the sexual changes that occur in midlife, both traditionally and alternatively? That's a wonderful question, and that's a topic I speak about all over the world. I uh, talk about helping women to know their bodies and to not uh, just do something because they think that this is the thing to do. You have to know your body. You have to know what's happening to your body and the different changes that occur. And the traditional is to use hormone therapy. We don't use the word hormone replacement therapy if a woman is less than 10 uh, years uh, if um, after uh, menopause or um, has some problems. But we have to be very careful with using hormone therapy because we have to know the woman's body and what happens with it. There's also some local um, applications of hormones that some women use uh, that some are absorbed by the body, some are not, such as estrogen cream, which is absorbed by the body. So if a woman has a uterus, she has to take progesterone to prevent hypertrophy of the uterus, which could lead to cancer. There are also mm-hmm. two products that she can use into her vagina. One is Vagifem and one is the E-string, and these are not absorbed through the body, so they help to provide uh, the vagina to be more plump, they work on the lining of the vagina, and to have more lubrication if they want. Let me ask, let me ask you about the bioidentical hormones, the cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, there, are there, is there any risk with that because it is the estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone? Well, it depends on how you are taking it and what your history is. And I can't say for each woman because each woman is different. So I think it's really important for women to know what they're putting in their body, know what uh, what uh, different conditions they've had, and know that you can take this for life. So I think it's important for women to know about their body, know their own hormone levels, and know what works best for them. Now, non-traditionally, there are other things we can the study that I did with Argimax for women, which is a dietary supplement. There's also different uh, cream, um, products like Zestra that help to stimulate um, the vagina if there's vaginal dryness. So you have to know what is it that you need. Do you need something for vaginal dryness because the lining of the, the vagina is thinning? Or do you need something to help boost your sexual drive? And there's many uh, different problems that can occur. You know, we had this big study done called the Women's Health Initiative, and everybody panicked on that because the results of that study. People didn't realize that the age at which they gave women hormone therapy for the first time was 62 years. The mean age was 62 years of age. Mm. So you have to look at results of studies and look at the way the studies were conducted. So I am, as you said, a scientist. I do research and I'm very interested in women's health and women's sexual health. I've co-authored seven books and over 180 research articles and book chapters, but I think it's real important to help women to feel good about themselves, to learn about themselves, and find out what, are, what do they enjoy 
centrally and sexually. Mm. I like to focus on pleasure-oriented interactions, not goal-oriented interactions. And there's been, I want to I wanna move away from this topic, but I do want to ask you one more question, and that is about, you know, about uh, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, for many women who've taken estrogen and then are concerned after being on it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, that their, that their risk for cancer is increased. So please address that for a moment. Well, first of all, a woman would not be on it for 10 or 15 years if she's taking it as hormone therapy post-menopause. And I think women who are so panicked about taking any hormone therapy to help them through the menopausal years have to realize that the amount of estrogen in the hormone therapy that's given is about one-eighth the amount that's given in birth control pills. So women... Mm birth control pills say, oh, I can't take hormone therapy. Uh, you have to look at what is the amount of hormones in what it is you're going to take and what are your symptoms. Do you need something just to help you get over some of the um, immediate symptoms of menopause, such as hot flashes, vaginal dryness, or do you not need anything? Do you just need to learn about your body, use maybe some of the non-traditional products that are out there, and learn about different ways that bring you sensual and sexual pleasure. Good. Thank you for that. Your early research concerned your rediscovery and the naming of the Grafenberg spot or G-spot and the phenomenon of female ejaculation. Um, Let's talk about that whole thing, the G-spot and the fluid that's expelled and what you call the female ejaculation. Well, we can start with what I call female ejaculation is the expulsion of about a teaspoon of fluid that looks like watered-down fat-free milk from the urethra, the tube you urinate through, and this usually occurs only uh, during sexual stimulation, possibly during orgasm. I was teaching women how to do cable exercises to prevent surgery for a condition called urinary stress incontinence. That's when a woman coughs, jumps, or sneezes and dribbles some urine. And some of the women who came to me to learn how to do with biofeedback, how to do the cable exercises, had very strong pelvic muscles, and they told me about this fluid that they exposed during sexual activity. So we went to the literature, found an article written by Dr. Ernst Grafenberg in 1950, in which he described this expulsion of fluid from the urethra that was different from urine, and also a sensitive area that you feel through the front or or anterior vaginal wall. So we examined 400 women, and we found that um, there was a sensitive area around, if a woman's lying on her back, in the front of the top of the vaginal wall around what we call 12 o'clock, that swells when it's stimulated. And we also did an analysis of the fluid that women expel and found out that the female ejaculation is chemically different from urine. Now, there's a lot of people who call female ejaculation what we and others have called gushing or squirting. That's a large amount of fluid that comes out of the urethra that is not, it is diluted urine with some of the components of the female ejaculation. So many people are calling that larger amount of fluid female ejaculation. That, that is not what we studied and published, and other, other researchers have validated our findings. It was just a study out from the University of Guadalajara in Mexico in which they found the same thing we did, the female ejaculate and what that was composed of, and most of that comes from the female prostate gland, and uh, the gushing or squirting, which is diluted urine with some of the, the uh, components of the female ejaculation, which comes from the female prostate gland, and urine. They compared the three as we had done. So I think that we have to give women permission that they may experience some loss of fluid 
during sexual activity. And if there's a small amount of fluid that looks like watered down fat-free milk, that's perfectly normal. And the area of the Gravenberg spot, we have more autopsy studies have to be done on this, but we know that it's composed of the periurethral glands, which were called the Skeins glands, which is now called the female prostate. They surround the urethra and the core of the clitoris and other tissues that are sensitive in that area. How do you compare, and I, I know it's very different, but the male-female, the male orgasm and the female orgasm, I mean, are they very, very different? Also, there's many different types of orgasmic responses that women have. We're currently doing functional MRIs of the brain to validate what we have found in my human physiology lab. That is, women can experience orgasm from stimulation of different parts of their body, including non-genital stimulation. Women experience Mm -hmm. orgasm from imagery alone, just thinking, no touching of their body. And I've also validated that women with complete spinal cord injury can experience orgasm. And it goes not through, there's three nerves that uh, go to the genitals, and there's a nerve that goes to the genitals that bypasses the spinal cord, which is the sensory vagus nerve, and that provides women with complete spinal cord injury to also experience orgasm. So I think we can't just say an orgasm in a woman is one thing and an orgasm in a man is another because there are many, many differences and we've looked at the brain and we see, we can tell what area is stimulated uh, by looking at the fMRI in the brain to see where the activity is is coming from. And the major... Go ahead. I'm sorry. You get me excited about my research. Uh, Okay. So I have another question about your research. You co-authored a white paper for Planned Parenthood Federation of America on the health benefits of sexual expression. Tell us about that. Well, I think it's really important to be aware that, as I said, there are many ways that women can experience pleasure and orgasm, but there are also many health benefits, and we went over and looked at all the different uh, things that we have found, that research has found in uh, in conjunction with uh, experiencing sexual expression. And this is both in men and women. Longevity, people live longer. Heart disease, there's less cases of heart disease in people who are sexually active into their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and maybe beyond. Breast cancer, less breast cancer in men and women who are sexually active and enjoy their sensual and sexual experiences. Uh, It affects the immune system. It affects general well-being in terms of sleep. There was a study done where people looked at um, uh, uh, faces, pictures of faces of different people. That's in your book. That's actually in the book. Okay, yeah. People who experienced uh, sexual expression uh, looked much younger than the others. And there's there's many other uh, benefits. I have a question. I have a question about orgasms and the way that people um, experience it. Uh, there are some people that may not want intercourse for an orgasm. There are some people that may just like fellatio or conogungus, in other words, oral sex. Mm-hmm. What's your, what Talk about that. Is that common? Do more people want orgasms from standard intercourse? Or are more men interested in, um, in fellatio? Well, I think that that's a very, very important question. And I have something called an extragenital matrix, which I list 36 parts of the body and 16 types or 15 types of touch in the column for ones that like you like. And I help people to map their bodies to find out what they like and what they don't like. And we have this stereotype that all women and men like penile vaginal intercourse 
or oral stimulation of their genitals when there's so much more to our bodies and so much more that can bring us sensual and sexual pleasure. And I'm pleasure-oriented, not goal-oriented, in my view of sexual expression. And I try to help people to look at goal-oriented like a staircase, where each step leads to the next step, a look, a touch, penis and vagina contact to the top step of the big O, or orgasm. And people who are goal-directed, if they don't reach that top step, they don't feel very good about the process. Whereas pleasure-oriented, I use the analogy of a circle where each activity on the perimeter of that circle can be an end in itself and feel very satisfying, whether it's, whether it's cuddling, holding the partner, whether it's oral sex, whatever it is. It's people have to know what, what feels good to them. And I think this is so important to give people permission to enjoy what they enjoy, to be aware of what they enjoy, to acknowledge this to themselves. And then the hardest part for most people is to communicate to their partner what brings them sensual and sexual pleasure? And so not one. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you. So, if if a man prefers oral sex even more mm-hmm. than anything, mm-hmm. or a woman prefers that, there's nothing wrong with that. You're saying absolutely not. But the main point is that they are aware of it and that they communicate this to their partner. This is what brings me sensual and sexual pleasure. And you have to know yourself and you have to know your body before you can know what brings you pleasure. So many people get into this habit of there's only one way to experience sensual and sexual pleasure or there's only one way to experience an orgasm, which is not so. And we have documented this in so many studies and in our studies now with functional MRIs of the brain where we can see what areas of the brain are activated. And uh, it's just amazing that people are not aware of the different ways that they can experience pleasure. And it's so important to me to get this message out to men and to women. I also teach men and women if they choose how to have multiple orgasms, uh, if that's their choice. I mean, there's so many things that we uh, don't consider. Mm. So it's it needs to be talked about, and you're saying. Do you find that it, are there any studies about this? As men get older, or women get older, do they like certain things more than other things? Uh, not I haven't seen any studies that say they like something more or less. But I have mm-hmm. studies about the benefits of sexual expression, no matter how old you are. There are, as I told you before, the white paper that we did for Planned Parenthood Federation of America, there are so many health benefits of sexual expression, pleasurable sexual expression, and that does not have to be penile vaginal intercourse. And so I think it's important for people to know, as I just said, what feels good to them and communicate that to their partners. so important. And not get into some pattern of a stereotype of only one way to experience sensual and sexual pleasure, only one way to experience orgasm. We're all different, we're all unique. And some days we may like one thing, some days we may like another. And I think it's important to be aware of that. What if if someone likes a fetish, for example? What what is your feeling about that? Well, I think that as long as it's not harmful to someone else, uh, I don't see any problem with that. And I think they have to, again, be aware of what they like and let their partners know. And then talk about this. Is this something that we would both enjoy doing? As long as no one is being harmed. Okay. Let's go back to your study with Arginax. This mm-hmm. is a nutritional supplement for yes. women um, in so, menopausal status. 
Share that with us and how people can find out more about it. Well, there's also a study for men, too, with uh, Argimax for, for men, and there's Argimax for women. And these supplements can be bought uh, in drugstores, etc. But I think it was really interesting because we looked at uh, a double-blind placebo-controlled study, and we looked at the effects of it on sexual function in women of differing menopausal status, premenopause, during menopause, and postmenopause. And we did find that there was a significant uh, difference in terms of the satisfaction and their level of sexual desire. So I think it's important to know that there are products out there that are not hormones. They're natural products that do help people who would like to increase their sexual uh, desire or increase their sexual satisfaction. And I thought this was a very interesting study. There's another one that I have uh, conducted that has not been published yet, so I can't speak to that one. But there's very helpful benefits to people with certain medical conditions, too. Um, You were talking about uh, Argin Max for Women, which was a naturally scientifically backed supplement for women. And so I thought you'd talk a little bit more. We have a couple minutes left about how women can be helped through the supplement. Well, the studies show that when women were giving a placebo and a double-blind method, that is neither the subjects nor those administering the the, uh, supplement knew which they were getting, a placebo or the uh, Argimax for women. And we found that Argimax for women help women with uh, those who have low sexual desire, with increasing their sexual desire, and also they reported a significant improvement in their satisfaction with their overall sex life. So there are things that people can take that are natural supplements that do help them if they're having problems during, say, during perimenopause or during menopause with their sexual desire and with their sexual satisfaction. So I just think it's important for people to know that there are products available that are not hormone-based. I'm not saying that people shouldn't take hormones. I'm just saying that if they have, say, breast cancer or they might be at risk for breast cancer or other things, you don't want to give your body too much hormone. Dr. Whipple, do you advise people? Do you coach women? Do you? How do you work with people? Do you have your own practice? How do you work with women? I'm, I don't work with women per se. I do research with women. I did the study of the Argimax. I'm doing studies on women's orgasmic responses. I work with, with all kinds of women, but I do not uh, work as a clinician. I do give lectures nationally. I've spoken in 94 countries internationally, and I do try to help women if they have to see me individually. I don't charge them. I give them what information I can. So I think I am not biased. This is what I'm trying to say. Do you, can people write to you? Uh, people could email me if they have questions, yes. And, um, and, that, and how would they do that? Okay, I'll give you my email address, but I am going to be in Mexico for the next couple of weeks where I cannot access email very easily. My email address is bwhipple, B-W-H-I-P-P-L-E, at pics, P-I-C-S, dot com. And uh, we're working now with pe- women who have PGAD, persistent genital arousal disorder, that is not related or relieved by sexual stimulation. So there's so many things that happen with women that we're trying to learn more about so we can give women specific information that may help them. I I think it's really important for women, as I said earlier, to know their own body, to know what feels good to them. And uh, as I said, we're all 
Each one of us is a unique individual and we all respond differently. So I can't say this works, would work best for you or that would work best for you. But in the one book that you mentioned, The Orgasm Answer Guy, we try to help women to be aware of what feels good to them. And that book I did with three colleagues, which I wanted to look at cultural perspectives, not um, just from one area. And so we had uh, Jewish, Catholic, Muslim, and Protestant uh, co-author that book, not for the religious aspects, but to be aware of the cultural aspects, because that makes sense too. Yeah, it's a great book. It's called Orgasm, the Answer, the Orgasm Answer Guide. And again, uh, you can log on to pressjhu.edu, which is John Hopkins Press. And um, thank you so much. I just want to tell people again, my guest has been Dr. Beverly Whipple, and she is the author of the groundbreaking book, The G-Spot, and other discoveries about human sexuality. She's also the co-author of this book, Orgasm, the Orgasm Answer Guide, and she's co-author of the study on Arginmax, which for women is scientifically backed supplement. And she's also been a recipient of the Masters and Johnson Award from the Society of Sex Therapy and Research and is one of the foremost authorities in the United States on women's sexual health. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the program, Dr. Whipple. Thank you so much. I also want to say that I have the gold medal from the World Association for Sexual Health. So that's on my international uh, respect, too. So it really feels good. Wow. I'd stay on the phone for just a second, please. Thank you for your interest in women's sexual health. Uh, you're welcome. Stay on the phone for a second. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on Voice America, America's Voice for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. See you next week. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.